Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. celebrate being at church together this morning, can't we? It's good. If you're with us online as well, we love you. Thank you for being part of our family as well online. Make sure you say hi in the chat this morning and, uh, and just get prayed for if you need to get prayed for as well. Um, I just, I'm just overwhelmed by our team and I feel like, you know, I know there's this thing happening today, this game happening today, but I was like, ACF's got a pretty deep bench, right? Like God has given us amazing people and so many of you that God has gifted uh, for this moment in 2022. And sometimes I just feel um, overwhelmed by the reality that God has entrusted this moment in time to you and I, right? Not to some of the, the, the people that we know or the kind of major uh, people in the faith that we've known over the years. And, you know, he didn't entrust this time to, to C.S. Lewis or Augustine or to anybody else, but to us, right, for this moment in time. And so there is a mission that we have here uh, today. I want to start us off in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It says this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So this is God's word to start us off here this morning. If you're brand new or catching up here today, we are in a series called Search History. And it's, it's been a conversation so far about the major tenets of our faith. What do we believe if we call ourselves Christians? That's an important question to answer. And depending on where you're at with the church or with your faith, you uh, might or might not have an answer to that question. So throughout this series, we're talking about these things that we believe in and why we believe in these things and how important it is to understand what we believe believe, right? Like in times like these, we need to know what we believe because we are being inundated with worldviews and belief systems that do not necessarily align with what's going to give us life. And yet we have this God that says, no, my way will give you life. And so there is a tension between the two. We need to know the difference. That's why it's important to know what we believe. Uh, we don't want to just talk about what to do. We believe that our beliefs will inform what we do. And so that's what this series is about as Search History. Today, I want to talk about the question maybe I get more than any other question about our theology, and it's this. What is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? And so in 
32 minutes, I'm going to attempt to make some sense out of this and maybe confuse some of you more than ever. I don't know. Like, you need to prepare yourself, by the way. It's going to feel like class for a moment. Uh, so I don't know if you need to pop an Advil or just stand up and walk around just to kind of let your brain uh, juices flow. Whatever you need to do to move forward in this. But I want to start with this question. Is there anything in the universe that you continue to study even though you know you will never fully comprehend it? Let the married men in the room say my wife, right? Like, let's be honest, and let the married ladies in the room say my husband, right? I mean, there's a lot of things in the world. Uh, have you ever just laid on the grass looking up at the stars at night, and you just, you can't take it all in, right? There's just so much to see, but yet you keep looking, and you keep observing, and you keep uh, un- trying to understand it in a deeper way. And this is, I think, this is how we approach God, Like, we understand that we will never fully comprehend this God, and yet because we are made in his image, we seek to understand him. We said this a few weeks ago, that we are the imago Dei, the image of God, that God has created us in his image. And because we are like him, it should inspire us to know everything we can about him. Like, we should never be satisfied with our understanding of God because God will never be fully understood right? You can never achieve this. You can never land. Like, I've, I've got God figured out. No, that's not God at all. And so I want to I start off with a few texts for you today. Deuteronomy 6.4, known as the Shema. This is like an ancient Hebrew, pray, Hebrew prayer, like a, like a daily prayer. They pray this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, say this word with me, one. So this is the idea, that God is one. Martin Luther describes the Trinity or the oneness of God well by saying this, we believe the divine majesty to be three distinct persons of one true essence. This is the basic understanding of what the Trinity is, that God exists in three persons, yet he is of one singular essence. This is so key to what we believe. Now I want to start off with one of the maybe major questions or first arguments that people will, will bring up when they bring up the idea of Trinity, and it's simply this. The word Trinity doesn't exist in the Bible, so why should we believe in the Trinity? Um, for some of you, that's news today, but just so you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But then I always respond back and say, you know what other word's not in the Bible? Bible. Bible's not actually in the Bible. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that maybe the language isn't there. And the word Trinity was actually uh, first used by a theologian um, named Tertullian about 200 AD. And he came up with this word. He was also, um, he, 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 was, he did a lot of things. He was a, he was a writer. He was an author. Um, and, and he came up with language to describe God. And the word he used was Trinity. Trinity was to describe the oneness of God, the threeness and the oneness of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet also singular in essence. And so just because the word doesn't exist in the Bible doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It's just a word that he used that we still use today to describe the Trinity. And, and I'm going to blast you with some Bible because some of you are like, now where is it then, Brian? And uh, so some of you are like, just give me the text and I'm going to give these to you pretty quick, and we're going to walk through them uh, fairly fast here so we can get to some other things. But um, we actually just read in the text the baptism moment of Jesus, right? And it's one of the texts I always go to to uh, give us an understanding of the Trinity because we see Jesus there getting baptized. We see the Father speaking to the Son saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit hovering over uh, Jesus and then descending on him like a dove. 
We also know in the Great Commission, Jesus tells the church, hey, go and make disciples in my name, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've seen that, where when we baptize people, you'll see uh, one of the pastors or uh, whoever's baptizing saying, does I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Even in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, we see these angels bowing down before God, crying out, holy, holy, holy. Why three holies? I I believe uh, one to really reflect and to honor each member of the Godhead, each member of the Trinity. Genesis 1, even at the beginning of the text, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so in the beginning, when the world was created, there was a community that existed prior to the creation of the world. Now, some people might say, well, that hour was maybe God and some other beings or other angels or other spiritual things. So lest you believe that, we go to Isaiah 44 that says, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth with some help. No, by myself. God spread out the heavens and the earth, not with some help, but all alone. So who's he talking about? When he says, our image. Who does he refer to when he says, we made God, uh, man in our image? He's referring to himself, to the Trinitarian reality that exists. John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says, I am. So, so there we have Jesus and the Father being one. Ezekiel 36, 27, God the Father says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. So once again, we see all of these operating Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. John 14, 26, Jesus, I think, brings it all together saying, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in whose name? In my name, right? The Father sends in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So I think we can keep going. This is just kind of the tip of the iceberg that we see throughout the biblical text. This eternal community that is God existing for all time as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you're here today wondering how that happened, did Jesus just kind of show up when he was born as a man? No, he didn't. He's always existed with God. Did the Holy Spirit show up when he blew into the church in the book of Acts? No, he has existed as part of the the Trinity, Trinity at all times for all times. And a lot of this stuff, I mean, I get that maybe your mind's like, and if it is, that's a good thing. Um, When I was studying this this week, there's just so much depth here. And one of the uh, graphics that I've seen over the years that I think describes this, this tension that exists in our minds of the Trinity really well is this one. Um, Can we put that on the screen? I think this describes the reality of the Trinity really well. In the center, we have God, right? There is one God, as we read earlier. And God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit, and God is the Father. Just as the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, right? They all are equal together. But at the same time, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, So, in fact, um, St. Augustine, somewhere around 400 A.D., wrote these words, and I think this describes it well. I'm going to read this for you. He says, The Trinity, one God, of whom are all things, through whom are all things, in whom are all things. Thus the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in each of these by himself is God, and at the same time, they are all one God. And each of them by himself is a complete substance, and yet they are all one substance. The Father is not the Son, nor the Holy Spirit. 
The Son is not the Father nor the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father nor the Son. But the Father is only the Father, the Son is only the Son, and the Holy Spirit is only the Holy Spirit. To all three belong the same eternity, the same unchangeableness, the same majesty, the same power. In the Father is unity, in the Son equality, in the Holy Spirit the harmony of unity and equality. In all these attributes are all one because of the Father, all equal because of the Son, and all harmonious because of the Holy Spirit. So did you get all that? I hope it's beginning at least to, to make sense of what we're saying here today. This idea of God, once again, has existed for all time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together as one. Now, how do we interact with this reality? I mean, like this, here is this God that is three in one. How do we interact with God then? I, I think that's why Jesus came, was to show us the way to live. Was to show us exactly how to interact with God himself. John twelve forty nine. Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Jesus, we see he has this relationship as both part of the Godhead and also relating to the Trinity himself. And so uh, we see the Holy Spirit ministering to Jesus and empowering him. And we see Jesus following the work of the Father. And and Jesus says this, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He gladly submits to the Father. There's no insecurity. Jesus isn't out to prove anything. He's not like, I think I'm just going to do what I want today. He wakes up every day and he says, what does the Father want me to do? Which is really interesting because he's also God at the same time. And the more we get into this, the more beauty you're going to see within the relationship that exists in the Trinity. How how, How does the Trinity work together and how do we relate to the Trinity? Well, Here's, I think, some simple ways to describe how each part of the Trinity works. First, the Father plans the work, the Son works the plan, and the Holy Spirit empowers the work. I want to go over those again. The Father plans the work, the Son works the plan, and the Spirit empowers the work. So Jesus shows up. He says, I have a job to do. I'm here for a reason, right? I'm doing the will of my Father, He's working the plan, and then the Spirit is ministering to Jesus, as we just read, empowering him to do all the things that he's called to do. So how do we relate to God? We relate to him the same way that Jesus did. We allow God to plan the work of our lives, to give us a a vision and a calling in life. Then we work that plan, right? We are obedient to what God calls us to, and then we know, you know what? I can't do this on my own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to give us what we need to do the work. And I want to give you some guardrails for this, because as we begin to understand the Trinity, there are a lot of ways to go off the rails. Um, There are a lot of misunderstandings about the Trinity, and I want to give you three words to write down here today, and the first is unity. Unity. This is the idea that there is only one God, or monotheism. There is only one God. Not polytheism, not universalism. Jesus says, There's only one way to the Father, and it's through me, okay? So if you're going to believe in Jesus, you can't go, I believe in Jesus and all these other things. Because to believe in Jesus is to believe what he said, which is that he is the only way to life. He does not share his throne with anyone else. That there is only one God, three, three persons in unity. Not some kind of impersonal power that exists out there. But God exists in three persons in unity together, but he is one God. The next word to write down is equality. And this is the idea that they are each God. They're equal 
in rank. So the misunderstanding or, uh, of, of this idea would be something called subor- subordinationism. It's a long word. And this is the idea that there would be some kind of hierarchy, like the, the son is less than the father, or the spirit is less than the son, and that is not the truth. No, nope, they are all equal in rank, right? This is the opposite of, of maybe some understandings of like these Greek or Roman gods that are fighting against one another to prove their power and authority over the others. No, what you see in the Trinity is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together, submitting to one another, and even the Bible says giving glory to one another for all of time. Imagine that. For all of eternity, God has existed in and of himself, perfectly complete on his own, and each part of the Godhead has existed for all time to give glory to the other, constantly deferring to the other, honoring the other. Imagine that. That's just a different view than maybe some of you have of God being this, like, this, this angry man with a white beard in the sky that just wants to like, take out his rage on you, right? That, that, that is maybe out to prove how strong he is on the earth. No, God doesn't have anything to prove. He's existed complete in and of himself for all of time. And then the last word is this distinction. And this is the idea that they are three distinct persons, equal in rank, yet they play different roles. So some people believe God is sort of like a shapeshifter, right? Like one day he wants to be the Father, the next day he wants to be the Son, next day he wants to be the Holy Spirit, and that is not how God works. He exists as all three and yet distinct. He is of one essence, yet there are three distinct roles, three distinct persons within the Holy Trinity. Just like within the church, we all are equal as the family of God, as sons and daughters of God, and yet we all have different roles to play. We have different gifts to play in the church. This is the opposite of a misunderstanding about the Trinity called modalism, which is the idea that God changes modes, changes uh, his shape throughout time. And this is why I think all the different metaphors break down, um, because the metaphors that we tend to use to describe the Trinity, um, they're physical. They're things that we understand, and we're trying to take something we can understand to describe an infinite God. It's just not going to work, right? Like, you can think of a few of them, like, uh, you know, the egg, right? The boiled egg. We've got, like, the shell and, and the egg white and the egg yolk, and maybe that's like the Trinity, and yet it's not, right? Those are different pieces of one part, yet they're, 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 it's just, it's not like God, right? God is three and one at the same time. Or, or maybe some people have used the illustration of, like, ice. You know, it's ice in one form, then it melts and turns to water, and then it can become steam, right? That's, that's the Trinity. No, that's modalism, right? We just read that. You know, it's changing modes from one to the next. We cannot describe God in a, in, in a simple way when he is an infinite God. So all this is good, and some of you have already gone to checking how the Super Bowl stuff's going. Um, and I get that maybe some of you are like, why does this make any difference? I promise you it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Once again, I said that we are made in the image of God, which means that if we don't understand God, we won't know how to live. And so a deeper understanding of how God lives and operates within himself will teach us how to live as human beings in the world that we live in. I want to give you a couple different important things to understand about the Trinity that I think affect our lives. And it's, I'll start with this. Humanity thrives when people are unified. So, so God is teaching us about ourselves through the way he is. And if we're made in his image, the best way to live is with this Trinitarian type of lifestyle. And what we realize is that humanity thrives when people are unified. In 2022, in this moment, 
the church must absolutely lead the way in creating a space for dialogue and disagreement. We absolutely have to lead the way in showing people what it means to be united together following our God. It's no wonder people look in at the church and they go, I don't want to be a part of that when we want to fight over like the color of the carpet or the style of the music, right? Like if these are the things that are going to divide the church, like no wonder people are like, yeah, I got better things to do with my time. We will thrive when we're unified and more than just unified around something, unified, unified around Jesus, I mean, that's ultimately what we want to do. And we've been given a ministry as the church. 2 Corinthians 5 says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So you have a job to do. You actually have a calling. And I believe this is true. If you are a believer in Jesus and today you have breath in your lungs, it's because God has work for you to do. I mean, otherwise there's no reason to be here, right? I mean, go be with Jesus if there's nothing left for you to do, but your time has not come yet. God will choose that time one day. But for now, you are here, you have an understanding of who God is, and, and you, you know who God is because he has a job for you to do. Unity is huge. So how are we going to do that? I mean, can we get practical as a church family? How can we live in the unity of the Trinity? Uh, I'll be blunt with you and say this. I, I think the only way for us to do that as a church family is that we stop making excuses and we get to know one another. So... I want to be real with you. I know it's easy to show up here and expect the person next to you to say hi to you, you know, or expect somebody else to kind of lead you into a relationship. But I, I want to encourage you today. That's your job. Uh, you're here for a reason. God brought you here today. And I just think of like, what would it do to our community if instead of just bailing out of here to maybe run downstairs and get the kids right at the, at the end of the service, you just spent three minutes getting to know one person. I've made this my, my goal lately. Like, at church, it can be overwhelming. All the different people in the room. Then there's that, like that guy who gave you his name a few weeks ago, and you can't remember it. So you kind of avoid him because you're like, that's going to be really awkward. You know, I'm really bad with names. And so it, you, can, you can do that with everybody. And I just started making it my goal of just saying hi and getting to know one person at every service. Just one person. And what if every single one of you did that? Like, you just stuck around. And, and I promise you, if you do that, this will start to feel like family. You'll start to see those people again. It'll feel like community. You won't feel so isolated anymore. And more than that, as we get to know one another, what it's going to do is grow our love for one another. It's really hard to love someone you don't know, right? That'll preach, right? It's really hard to, get, to love a God we don't know. It's really hard to love people that we don't know, and yet we call ourselves the church, the family of God. It's a pretty disjointed family sometimes, and so I want to encourage you to do that. Get to know one another. Be one with one another. Online family, if you're with us there, uh, make yourself known. It's really easy to just watch and, and just kind of take it all in, but what if you just kind of made yourself known online and, and, and just commented, said, hey, this is where I'm watching from. That's a step to community. That's a step to people knowing you and you knowing them, and I just promise you it's better for you, and it's going to be better for the church. So our call as Christ followers is to be one with God and the church, right? To be one together. And you can't be one unless you get to know one another. And the other thing that we're called to do is to be winsome with those who don't believe. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, you're not a Christian, we are so excited that you're here with us. And this is a great series to get some understanding. If you're like dipping your toe in the water of Christianity, we're going to give you an idea of what we believe. And you can chew on that and wrestle with it. But understand, the Bible does not call us to be one with those who are not in Christ, but to love people who are not in Christ, and to be winsome towards those who are not in Christ. Because Christ is the only reason the church is one. 
Jesus is the only way that you and I, who are very different, can be one together in one family. So we're not saying be one with the world. No, that's not what we're called to do. Be one with the church and be winsome toward non-believers. If you're like, what does that word winsome mean? It simply means to live in an engaging, open, welcoming, loving way that invites the fascination of those who don't believe. That's how we're to live as the church. Loving, engaging, open, welcoming in such a way that your friends and neighbors are like, what is it about your life? What is it about your way of parenting or your way of uh, building relationships and friendships? There's something unique about you. I heard somebody say once, we need to live win some so that we might win some, right? Win, that's the whole point, that we would live win some so we can win some to Jesus, win some to the truth of the gospel, which means that I think we need to be careful about becoming the big J judge of people, both inside and outside of the church. Uh, there's one judge, and it's Jesus, and he does a really good job of it, right? Now, in, in little ways, we can determine things that are right and, right and wrong through uh, the, our understanding of the truth, but Jesus is the big J judge of the world. We say this a lot at ACF, you don't have to believe to belong. And I really mean that, and, and we mean that, that if you're here and you're like, man, I, I'm not sure I'm a I'm a Christian, or I'm kind of deconstructing my faith right now. I'm not sure what I think about this stuff. I think that, that you're in the right place. We, we actually made this place for you as well. And we want you to be part of this, this community and part of what's going on here um, at ACF Church. We invite you to get involved, to join an ACF group. I was talking with somebody this week, and they're like, where does somebody go who's got a lot of questions about their faith? And the answer is to an ACF group. Join one of those, uh, th- those small groups, and I promise you the first one will not be a good fit. That's just how it's going to work. It's like dating, okay? So you're going to show up and you're going to be like, these are not our people. But don't quit. Don't quit. Like, try another one. Give it some time, and you will find the right group for you, and that's okay. That's okay. People have come to our small group and been like, we have a different one that we're going to go to, and that's fine. It doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. Find one that fits you. Move forward in that. If you're here and you don't follow Jesus or you're not a believer, I want you to find a way to serve. You might not know this, but at ACF, we actually have two different levels of serve teams. We have level one and level two. Level one serve teams are people who, um, you don't have to be a Christian. If you want to brew coffee or you want to shake hands at the door or you want to help at Impact Eagle River and change oil uh, for, for single parents here in a few months, you, we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then we have another level of leadership. In fact, if you haven't taken Crash Course, you'll learn all about this stuff. But our level two leaders are people who are Christians, who do things like teaching the word, right? Like uh, for our our, our junior high and high school students. Um, Because it'd be awkward if you're like, hey, open the Bible to Genesis. I don't believe this stuff. But uh, Genesis 1 says this. Like, we don't want to put you in that place. Like, I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm going to tell you about it. So we we try to draw a distinction there for the sake of you. If you're like, I don't know if I believe this stuff. We want to not put you in an uncomfortable situation where you're trying to live in a certain way that you don't believe at all. So But we as a church have said, we want to find ways for you to engage. We don't want to just put lift service to this idea that you don't have to believe to belong. The next thing I I think we see in the Trinity that affects our lives is that our value is not earned, but fully given by God. So so that exists in the Trinity, right? Neither, uh, none of the Trinity are looking for power or value, right? 
The Holy Spirit never wakes up and is like, I feel really insecure about myself. I just wish Jesus would affirm me more. You know, I wish, I wish the Father would tell me how great I am. No, they constantly affirm and glorify and lift up one another. That's how God exists within himself. So he doesn't earn his value. He is fully confident in and of himself. That's the kind of God I want, right? I don't want an insecure God that needs my worship to feel good about himself. I want a God that has existed within himself for all of time and has everything he need, who needs whose love simply overflows to the creation of humanity. That's what happened. His love overflowed to the creation of you and, and me. That's all it is. It's an expression of his love, not the only fulfillment of his love. So our value is not earned but fully given by God. I, I went on a deep dive of cryptocurrency this week. I don't know if some of you invested in there. Some of you are checking your investments uh, right now. Uh, you're like, no, I'm on, the, I'm on the Bible app. No, you're not. I get it. I get it. I was, learning about, uh, I was learning about NFTs this week. Some of you know what NFTs are. Uh, non-fungible tokens. Uh, it's this interesting thing where people are selling rights to everything from real estate to digital art to somebody's first tweet. Like, it's crazy. But here's what I, what I, what I read is this idea that it's all simply worth as much as people are willing to pay for it. And that's all it is. And I was like, man, that, that, that's exactly like us as humans. We, we're only worth what somebody's willing to pay for us. And the story of Jesus is that he gave everything for us. We have this God that he, you know, you, do you realize he didn't tithe his blood? He gave all of it. Praise God, he wasn't like, I'll give you 10%, right? But nothing more. He was like, no, I'm going to give my whole life to you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give all my blood for you. We have this God that, I want you to hear me on this, and if you've been not paying attention, would you look up here for a moment? Your value in Jesus has been set before you ever put your feet on the carpet in the morning, okay? God has said you are infinitely and intrinsically value made in my image before you do anything for me because you are my son and you are my daughter. And I want you to embrace, if you embrace, what if we all embrace that reality and then we just live from that? And we had nothing to prove, right? And we weren't jockeying for position or for power. I mean, think of how that would change the church. And understanding the Trinity, it, I think it shows us that Christianity isn't about getting up every day to earn God's favor. Because you already have it. It's already been handed to you freely. We're just being invited to be a part of it. To be a part of this thing that God has created. It's what theologians for hundreds of years have called the dance of the Trinity. The dance of the Trinity. Anybody here like to dance? Want to admit in church today? We got some dancers. Uh, when I was first dating Amanda, um, we took swing dancing lessons. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, like I was terrible. It was, it was horrific to watch at first, um, but we got better, right? We got better to the point I was like swinging her around here and I could pull her up, you know, between my legs and like over my head. And I mean, it, we got pretty decent at swing dancing, but it, it took some practice, and I learned some things. I learned some things about life through dancing. And here are three things I learned about life through dancing. First, you have to work together. And second, you have to be for one another. And third, you each have a job to do. So these are these three words that we see in the Trinity, this idea that, the, that God works together within himself, that God is always for himself, for one another within the Trinity, and that they each have different jobs to do. And that's the dance of the Trinity, and that is the dance of life for you and me, is that we, 
need to work together. And hear me, church, we have to be for one another. And you need to know this. You're here today because you have a specific job to do. The body needs you. Like, we hurt when you're not engaged. We hurt when you're not part of things. This kind of made me think of uh, middle school for me, which, can we pray for the middle school students? Uh, This is one of the hardest seasons of life if you're in middle school. We love you. God loves you. It gets better from here. I promise you that. It does get better. But that's a hard season of life. And I remember I was, uh, we, were, we were actually stationed um, in Minot, North Dakota, uh, at Minot Air Force Base. And I went to Memorial Junior High School. And so I just remember, like, little 12-year-old Brian hearing about the first dance that I had ever had a chance to go to. And so they planned this whole thing. Teachers put it together. And, you know, it was, like, after school, which was really cool. We showed up. It was, like, dark outside. And I'm, like, riding my bike to school. And and I walk in, and I'm, you know, I'm wearing my best polo shirt and, you know, my baggy Jenko jeans. And I'm like, I'm looking pretty awesome. And I walk in there, and, and uh, it looked like pretty much every middle school dance you've ever seen. And so there's like a disco ball, and the music's playing, Mariah Carey's singing or something like that. And like on one end of the room are all of the girls. And on the other end of the room are all of the boys, right? And they had set chairs up around the edge because they just wanted people to have a place to sit. Well, all the chairs were full, and no one was dancing. No one. And we sat there for an hour and a half, and nobody danced. Not one person got out of the seat. All the girls over there, all the guys over here, and we're all thinking, I wish I could do it. I'm just scared, right? Like, I wish I could do it. And the guys are trying to, like, pump each other up. And then we just, like, sit back down and, like, just didn't have the guts to go ask a girl to dance, right? But then it was, like, the last song. And so I know the DJ was like, I'm going to pull out all the stops. And he played this. Well, just take a second. Put your arm around your honey. Come on. Come on. That's good. Oh, it's so good. Oh, man. Some of you are like, is that a new song? Anybody, anybody under 20? Is That's weird. What is that song? Anyway. Oh, end of the road, boys to men. That was, but I'm not joking. The song started playing, and like some guy I didn't know was like, I'm doing it. And he walked all the way across the gym, and he pointed at a girl, and he went like this. And she stands up, and he walks her to the middle of the room, and it was this, like, explosion of dancing for three minutes and 30 seconds. Everybody danced. And then it was done. And we all went home. And it, it, it made me think, just like, how weird is it to have a dance and no one's dancing, right? Do you know the church can be like that? You know the church, we can be like that, like, The music's playing, but nobody's dancing. And we've got all of our insecurities and all of our fears and feelings like, do I have it, have what it takes, you know? Like, like should I get up? What if I embarrass myself? I don't want to do that. I don't want to risk anything. It's just much safer in the seat. And I I just want you to know there are churches across the world and, and sometimes even us where the music's playing and nobody's dancing. The vision is there. The calling is there. The opportunity is there. The Holy Spirit is there. Everything you need is there. And you sit in your seat. And you say, God, entertain me. 
And God says, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm inviting you to dance. I want to invite you into the eternal dance of the Trinity that has always existed, and I want you to be a part of it. I don't want you just to watch it happen around you. Some churches, nobody's dancing. Other churches, it's a mosh pit, right? And everybody's fighting for power and pushing everyone else down to get there. How do I get the ministry? How do I get authority? How do people get to see me on the stage? I just want you to know, I will get off this stage as quick as I get on this. I do not need this position. And I constantly prepare myself and do that in my heart, is that I would be just as happy flagging people in the parking lot as I am on this stage. But this is what God has asked me to do right now. And one day I will be in the parking lot, and I will love that as much too. And I wonder for you, like, would you join the dance? Would you jump in to what God is doing? What does it mean to join the dance? It's when God is saying, hey, I want to call you out of your seat into this eternal story of my kingdom. I'm going to give you everything you need to do it, and you simply get the strength in your knees to stand up. That's what it means to join the dance. It's when God says, I have something for you. It's going to take faith. It's scary. It's not going to make sense. Your friends are going to make fun of you, but you do it anyway. That's you joining the dance. It's when you begin to sacrifice your life and you realize that being part of what God is doing in the world is not to consume, but it's to show up and give because that's what Jesus did for you. And when you show up and you just like, you're like, I'm here to sacrifice, I'm here to give, that's you saying, I want to join the dance. I got, Britt texted me this picture this week of our teenagers. I love this. This is them at winter camp. Yeah. Give it up for our teenagers. You know, in church, we have an opportunity to join the dance. What we do here every single week is, is really rehearsing for the, for the big dance, right? This is us together going, we're here and we're going to honor God together. The invitation is give worship to the God who created you. Every single week, every time you gather. These students are going like, I'm not going to worry about what somebody else thinks. I guarantee some of the people in this, in this picture are terrified right now because they're like, I've got my hands in the air. Is this one of those churches? What does this mean? You know, have I gone off the deep end? Am I a crazy charismatic now? What am I now? Like, I don't, like, what are people going to think of me? And there's this fear of, like, just doing something together. It, it, which, side note, if you don't know, we, we lift our hands in worship because the Bible tells us to. The Bible talks about lifting our holy hands in worship. It's, it's an act of surrender that it has existed for thousands of years. And so it's not a new thing. It doesn't belong to whatever, you know, worship group that you've seen on YouTube and all the people in the, like, it, it belongs to God. God says, this is something I want you to do to show surrender to me. And we do it when we don't feel it. We do it because we want to be part of the dance together. When you open your mouth and sing, some of you are like, I don't sing. If you follow Jesus, you do. You just got invited to be a singer. Congratulations. It's part, the Bible's full of that. Opening your lungs and speaking the words of God and singing to God. Apparently God likes it when you sing, even when it's terrible. He loves to hear you sing. Like I love listening to my children sing. They're not always on pitch. And I just love hearing them sing. And I don't know for you, like if you've got kids or have seen that before, it's just beautiful. But God's like, he doesn't care if you're a good singer. He just says, I, I, I take joy when my children take joy in me. And so what if you were just like, work through the insecurity. Stop making excuses. Stop looking at the people in the room and said, I'm going to set the pace for the dance. 
I'm, gonna wait. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to lead. I'm going to step in and set the pace for the dance. I'm going to lead the way, not just in this gathering, but in your life for the church of Eagle River, for the church of Alaska, for just the big C church that you were like, I'm done watching what everybody else do, does. I'm going to walk across the room, and I'm going to say, let's dance. And that's the invitation to you and I today. Now, some of you are like, well, that's great, but what do I do with all the mystery of this Trinity stuff? I'm still stuck on that. And here's the reality is that I don't think God wants to fix that problem for you. And it was not my plan today or my desire to fix that problem for you. I love what Richard Rohr says about mystery. He says, remember, mystery isn't something that you cannot understand. It is something that you can endlessly understand. There's no point at which you can say, I've got it. Always and forever, mystery gets you. Here's the reality is that you don't want a God you can fully understand. Do you, do you want a God that's like, just like another human, right? Like, I couldn't find my keys this morning. Do you want a God that's like, I can't find my keys in the morning, you know? That's a God I understand. I, I don't want a God like me. I want a God that's bigger than me, that's transcendent, that I can't quite ever get my mind wrapped around. And for too long, the theology of the Trinity has been responded to with, well, we'll just understand when we get to heaven. I don't even know that you will. That's not promised. what I see promised in the scripture is that you will be on your knees and on your face in worship before this God. I don't know that you'll truly understand him. You might gain a deeper understanding of him, but we got to begin today with embracing this reality that God is greater than us, which doesn't keep us from trying to understand him. It just encourages us to try to understand him more. And the the, the idea of the Trinity, we got to understand the difference because it's not something that contradicts itself. Some people say, well, the, the Trinity contradicts itself. It's not a contradiction. It's a paradox. And there is a difference. A contradiction is something that cannot work with the other things. A paradox is something that somehow mysteriously works. And you guys, there are already so many things about our world that we just don't understand. There is so much about our world that sometimes just mysteriously works. And God is that way. He mysteriously works. He's fully united within himself, full of love for all of time. You know, one of the things we know about God is that God is love. He is love at his essence. And this is what's so important about the Trinity is that without the Trinity, God cannot be love. God can only create love. Love would simply be something that God created when he created the world because love takes other people. It takes other beings, right? God could not have been just like one being and then became three when he created the world. If he was that, then he created love. He is not love. But since God has existed for all time within himself, three in one, love has always existed within God. And God has always been love. So once again, when he created the world, you were just an expression of his love. You were an overflow of his love. He didn't need you. He doesn't need me. But man, he sure, sure does love you. And so I want you to hear that story today and go, well, what do I do with that? I think at a base level, receive it. Just receive that love. Uh, Listen, salvation is the moment that you get up out of your seat and you look at God and you say, let's dance. I'm going to put my faith in you. It's going to be scary. I don't know what's coming for me. I might be embarrassed, but it's going to be worth it because I'm looking at a beautiful image of God. And so I don't know what your next step is. I want you to grab your action card from... A seat. Maybe you can choose a next step here today, and um, I want you to fill this out. Maybe tear it off the bottom, and 
uh, drop this in one of the baskets on the way out. We'd love to just be praying for you. We'd love to uh, just send you a text this week to encourage you to keep moving forward. But maybe today you would just want to make Jesus the Lord and leader of your life. Maybe you want to take that first step. Say, God, let's dance. Let's do this. I don't have all the answers, but what I see in you is enough. Maybe today you're going to begin one new relationship. Maybe after church today, you're like, okay, I, I, I get it. I've got to stop making excuses. I'm going to get to know one person today. And just make that your mission. Every time you come back to church, one person, one person. People online, maybe today's your day. Okay, I'm going to come out of the darkness of the web and make myself known online. And if that's you today, just, just try that. Just make your name known. Maybe today you want to remind someone that you're for them. Is there somebody in your life that uh, has just forgotten that you're on their side, that you want the best for them? In that way, you would be reflecting the beauty of the Trinity, saying, hey, I, I'm not trying to get above you or prove anything to you. I want to, I want to support you and encourage you. Maybe to you, to you today, your next step is to give up your rights to serve others. Maybe you're, you're here today and you're like, yeah, I'm done consuming church, Brian. I, I, I promise you this. If you're here to just kind of take in church, um, you will get bored really quickly. You will find better things to do on a Sunday morning. But when you become a part of the family of God, this will draw you in every week. Your small group will draw you in every week. The, the movement of God will draw you in every week because you are part of what God is doing. So maybe today you take a next step in that. If you want to do that, you can go to our welcome table in the lobby, and they'd love to get you on a team here today. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us. And then we're going to worship together. Jesus, thank you so much for the beauty that we see in the Trinity. God, thank you that you don't need us, that you are not insecure. God, thank you that you're not like us or comprehensible to us. Father, we don't want a God that makes sense to us. We want a God that's transcendent from us. So today, God, I pray we'd understand your beauty in a deeper way, that the confusion of this idea of the Trinity wouldn't cause us to look away, but would, would cause us to look closer, that we'd look deeper into your eyes and understand your love for us in a more profound way today. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for inviting us into the dance, God. We just can't believe that you'd want to dance with us. Yet you do. We know all of our sin. We know the things we've said and haven't said. God, we know the things we've done and should have done. Yet you still want to dance with us. And we just are overwhelmed with gratitude for that today. We love you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.